Uninvisible is a support podcast that deals squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our terms of service and privacy policy which are available on our website located at uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman. And I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. This episode is sponsored by Ember Labs, creators of the Ember Wave, the intelligent bracelet that helps control how you experience temperature. I'm heat sensitive, and this device has been a lifesaver. Using patented technology, it cools or warms the temperature-sensitive skin on your wrist, creating a natural response in your body and mind that helps you thermally adjust in minutes. It was selected by Time Magazine as one of 2018's best inventions. For those of you with mounting medical costs to consider, the team at Ember offer a payment plan in partnership with a firm. And because you listen to Uninvisible Pod, they are offering you $30 off. Go to emberlabs.com, that's E-M-B-R labs.com, Enter code INVISIBLE30, that's INVISIBLE30, at checkout, and experience personal thermal wellness on a whole new level with me. Okay, guys, thank you so much for joining us. I am here today with two of the funniest people I know, two best friends without buttholes, Joe Teeters and Danielle Galden, also known as Double Bagging It. Thank you so much for joining us. So you guys are on the show because you both have invisible chronic illness. You both have ostomy bags. You both don't have buttholes and you talk about it and you advocate for invisible illness, but with a particular leaning toward uh, bowel disease. So I can't wait to talk shit with you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it all day long. Exactly. So part of the reason you're on the show is that we connected because you guys are also We Go Health Award winners. So tell us quickly what you won the award for. We won the award for Hilarious Patient Leaders. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And you guys are a lot of fun. We bonded in Vegas together when we were all receiving the awards. So I'm thrilled to have you on the show. And I believe that you are the first people I'm having on the show who have ostomy bags. So I figure let's start all the way at the beginning. Can you guys tell us, because I know that you met, you both met after getting your diagnoses. Correct. Can you tell us individually how you both knew that you had something going on and what you did to end up with those Barbie butts? Sure. Mm-hmm. Of course. Mm. So, um... I started getting sick. Um, first of all, I was really healthy growing up. I've never had to go to the doctors really just like your typical like kid colds. That's about it. And all that started to change around the time when I was about 16 or 17. So about a junior in high school. And I just noticed that I started having a lot more abdominal pain and I was running to the bathroom more frequently. And it was kind of something we pushed off as drinking too much fruit juice and, you know, eating too much crappy kid food and, and whatnot. And so it was ignored. I went off to college a couple of years later and I just kept getting more and more sick to the point where it was affecting my college life and my classes. And, um, finally I went home back home and saw our general doctor and he 
unfortunately misdiagnosed me as having a gluten intolerance. Wow. Really fun. So being in college and having to eat gluten-free things back in the late nineties was not cheap. Yeah, not cheap or easy, I imagine. No, not at all. I was away from home. I lived by myself um, in an apartment um, because I was so sick. I didn't want roommates. And yeah, I really couldn't afford to, you know, have these kinds of food or cook the way that I needed to cook according to those diagnoses. And, you know, there's no big organic food chains back then or any of that. So, so I just kept getting more and more ill and um, to the point where I had to change my college degree. I went in for environmental science. I wanted to be a national park ranger. I ended up having to switch that because I was too ill and knew you, you know, you can't crap behind every tree. No. So, um, I went for marketing and, uh, long story short, I was finally, my doctor down here in Columbus was like, you need to have a colonoscopy. Something else is going on with this. Mm. And so I reluctantly did it, but it was fine. It was great. It was I was able to be diagnosed properly. So after that, I came up with having severe ulcerative colitis. Mm. And that was actually a blessing because I had a, I had somewhere to go from here. I had, you know, a plan of action. So funny thing is, uh, my parents were in town for that test. And knowing that I wasn't just gluten intolerant and that I'd missed out on all these delicious foods that once I was diagnosed on that day, I went out and got pizza. Mm-hmm. There's a chili line down here where it's like chili on top of noodles. I got that. I got an entire box of like ho-hos. I oh, ate God. them all. Yeah. I, I, I got all the gluten. Bring me all of the gluten. So, um, yeah. So fast forward. <laughs> um, so wait, how was, old were you when that happened? So I was 16 when I started getting sick. I was no, 23, 22 when I was properly diagnosed. So like so, that's a, that's a six year wait yeah. for a proper diagnosis, which is fairly typical that, you know, you're going to wait longer for a chronic illness diagnosis. Right. Right. Absolutely. Right. Exactly. And, so. that's, and that's where I was very fortunate. Like, mm-hmm. uh, when I was growing up, I, I always had poop problems growing up. I'm the youngest of six kids and, mm-hmm. you know, anytime with a house full of kids, Hey, where's Joe? Oh, he's pooping. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I always, I always had had problems there, but it wasn't until I, I graduated high school and went away to, I uh, went, I was in the Naval Reserves and I went away for training for five months. And of course that's a very stressful, uh, event, right? Going yeah. away from home for the first time in the military and all that stuff. I would just be stressed out that there was no doors on the bathrooms. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That was <laughs> Wait, there are no doors on the bathrooms in the military? Uh, the barracks, the, the barracks were just lines of stalls with, there were dividers, thankfully, but there oh were God. Stalls. Yeah. You no, can't have I, privacy when you're pooping. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh man. Is that uh, where you learn to do but, it? But, improv? you know, <laughs> 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 yeah, but you, you don't really, you don't really have time to think about modesty or anything. It's just all a bunch of, you want to just be the first person there after lunch mm. to get, to get to the <laughs> stall. You don't want to have to shit after five other men. You just don't want to do it. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. I don't, I don't envy you having to share barracks with a bunch of stinking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, I started getting sick then. Like mm. that was the, the real big flare. I'm, I had moments growing up. I like, I think when I had appendicitis at age 14, I really believe that was the first real flare of my Crohn's disease. But uh, when I got home from the five months of training, things just kept getting worse. And my parents started taking me around to try to find out what was going on. Something's certainly wrong. Uh, I was very fortunate Unlike Danielle, it didn't take as long, but it took about a year, a solid year before I got to the right doctor 
to get the colonoscopy to actually get that diagnosis of Crohn's disease. And um, uh, yeah, so that's every time you say the word solid, I have to laugh because like that just doesn't exist in our world. Yeah, exactly. It's just a word now. It's just a word. It has no meaning. Solid year. (laughs) Solid year. Yep. It was a very solid year. So it's very interesting because to me, this is like a, a demonstration of the gap in our medical care, right? That like, especially as far as gender parity is, is concerned, because it seems almost like you guys are the definition of like, here's a dude who got his diagnosis in a year and a woman who took six years for hers. It's, yeah. it's pretty stark, isn't it? But it's, it's definitely, that, that's how it works, generally speaking, statistically yeah. speaking. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. a lot of times, now that I think about it back, just you bringing that up, a lot of times I'm like, oh, well, you know, it's probably just that time of month. You're not feeling so well. I did get a ton of that. And I really haven't really thought about that until you brought, you said that. Well, to be fair, I do get the shits when I have my period. A lot of people do, but yeah, I mean, I certainly was much sicker than, than that. Yeah. And also it's that thing of being written off or the presumption that women can endure more pain you know, things like that. So it's very, very interesting. So you guys both doesn't mean I want to. Yes. Yes, exactly. So you guys represent sort of the two main illnesses on the IBD spectrum, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. And you both ended up having surgeries and now both live with ostomy bags, right? Correct. So tell us how that works. What happens for the people who are tuning in who don't know? And also the difference between Crohn's and, and UC, what's the What's the big distinction there? Sure, absolutely. Um, uh, I'll start in with, with mine from the Crohn's side. Uh, with the Crohn's disease is inflammation of the digestive system. It can, can, it can occur anywhere between the mouth and the anus. And, but more so than that, in addition just to location, in addition to the location, the inflammation can occur not just on the surface lining of the intestine, but it goes all the way through the intestine wall. So the entire organism is, is affected. And uh, that can cause really severe problems like fistulas and things to form once the disease um, progresses outside of the intestines. It can attach to other organs outside of the body and things like that. Yeah, so a uh, fistula is like a tunnel. Yeah, a tunnel opening between between organs. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, so I, with the Crohn's disease, um, I was diagnosed in 93 at the age of ni- 19. My disease was so severe I actually, prior to my ostomy surgery, I had two other resections along the way, intestinal resections, because the disease had, had damaged so much of my intestines and mm-hmm. caused so much scar tissue and strictures and things that medication wasn't treating, couldn't treat that anymore. So they took out portions of my intestines twice, put it back together. But with a third surgery in 2012, the disease was so bad uh, in my rectum that they couldn't resect it. They just had to remove the rectum and form a, a stoma for me and give me a permanent ostomy. Wow. Yeah, and then colitis is very similar to Crohn's. So they're in the same disease category, but um, so it's the inflammation, but it doesn't go like Joe's Crohn's disease goes all the way through. Mine is so colitis is only in the large intestine. Hmm. That's the only part that's affected. Now, of course we still have um, something called extra intestinal manifestations, which both diseases have. So it's inflammation of your eyes, um, inflammation of the joints, Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of pain with that. And then another with Crohn's disease, it could have a lot of bleeding, but with colitis, it's usually, um, more of a frequency and urgency. So I was going to the bathroom about 20 to 25 times a day with yeah. very 
watery diarrhea. And it was a lot of times it was all blood. Hmm. So, um, it's, it's the same thing. It's just a more, more concentrated area, but yeah, the same fact. So I had my surgery, um, in 2007 and when they took that out, I immediately felt much better mm-hmm. because I didn't have like within 18 hours, wow. I feel the inflammation. Like I, my ankles didn't hurt as much. Um, it was weird. So I had all of the, you know, you have all these strains and, and all kinds of things. And I still felt better, even though I had just had a massive like 10 hour surgery the day before. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It goes to show how useful the surgery can be for people who need it. And that's, it's just a a great um, treatment for those who are eligible for that. Um, It's just as much of a treatment as some of the medications are. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you in terms of the surgery, are these surgeries, it seems like for both of you, they were medically necessary. It wasn't something that you opted to do for funsies, Um, (laughs) you know, but like, is it a surgery that a lot of patients in the IBD community have to fight for when they really need it? I don't. I, th- I think it it, it kind of works in both ways. I think, and and I'll mm-hmm. say this even from your perspective, you can talk more to this as far as that you were encouraged to to not like don't take your butthole away. Maybe you want to be reversed. Kind of thing. Yeah, I definitely was encouraged to not have it. Mm. Um, a lot of family members, not that they weren't, they just thought of it as oh, it's so permanent. You're so young. I was 31. Um, you don't want to like disfigure yourself or there's another different kind of, there's something called the J pouch that you can get where, and it's specifically for colitis. So you have a temporary ileostomy and then they take part of your, the end of your small intestine kind of form a pouch that makes a reservoir and then they reconnect it to your butthole. And then you poop like a normal person, but you're still pooping a ton of times Mm. a day because your colon is the organ that's responsible for pulling out the water. So you're basically going to have very liquidy poop. So that I was very much encouraged to try that. And I was very black and white with that. I was so sick. I never, I never wanted anything coming out of my butthole ever again. Like I wanted it as permanent as permanent can be. Like there's no gray areas with me. Um, so it was a great, 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 great thing for me. Yeah. So sometimes, sometimes patients do have to fight, especially on the younger side, because there's a hesitance to there's a hesitance to hold off until you're older, which is one of the stigmas is mm-hmm. thinking that ostomies are things that old people, our grandparents have. But, yeah. Um, but then there's also from a patient perspective, there are patients, the fear of an ostomy keeps patients from electing to have that surgery because it is technically an elective unless yeah. you have some sort of traumatic event. You as a patient have to choose to do the surgery mm. um, unless you, your intestine ruptures or something. Right. So, but so patients, there are patients who are very hesitant to make, I, I, I came to it very, um, reluctantly, but it was at the time, it was the only thing on the table, all medications had failed. And it was the Mm -hmm. only thing my doctors could recommend to me that would help keep me alive. Yeah. Yeah. And was all of my medications stopped working as well. I became completely steroid dependent. I was on steroids for almost an entire decade. I'd be to have massive issues with specifically my spine and my teeth um, now, but mine was definitely um, very elective. Uh, I was very excited to have my surgery. I high-fived everybody all the way down that corridor for surgery. Um, so it's something, I, I think I'm very much in the minority when it comes to that. Hmm. For so, your disease category, you mean? Correct. Like I know just in the, in the actual selection, like mm-hmm. once I made up my mind, I was so, so sick. I mean, I had, um, here's a fun story. I was so ill that I actually had a toilet installed in my car. 
Um, wow. How do you get a toilet installed in your car? So, so um, creatively, actually. So you go to the dealership and they say, what kind of things do you want? Do you want a sunroof? Do you want like satellite radio? And I said, no, I want a space to put a toilet. And they thought that they laughed. Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, who puts a, you'd be the only person who's ever done this now. Well, I feel, I've never encountered another human being. Um, so it's interesting, but yeah, so we, we bought a car specifically with like a lower to the ground, like floor. I don't know how you call it. I'm sure there's some kind of car. Like, trunk, yeah. Deck floor, whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so you, we took out this one seat and it had like the little areas where the seat connected and my husband figured out a way we bought it really posh camping toilet and we figured out how to bungee the bottom in and then I'm not very domestic but I made little curtains that you could velcro in and the back of my car because it was an uh, an SUV like a kind of outdoorsy one it had all these weird pockets so we had places for toilet paper and places mm. to put magazines and then I lived up in Cleveland at the time so very very cold place and we had figured out a way to winterize it mm-hmm. because there was no way I could go anywhere without like complete fear because 25 times a day and we're talking that like you can't hold it when you have these diseases yes yeah. when people ask me what it's like to have this I often describe it as the worst food poisoning you've ever had in your life intestinally for me at least the so Crohn's I think it probably feels that way all the way through maybe but the worst food poisoning. And that was my life for, you know, as many years as it took to, for me to get my ostomy, even with all mm. the medication. So, um, so the toilet was definitely a necessity as well as a peace of mind. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's amazing, amazing what you like looking back on that now. And I have such a great and different life now that I have an ostomy. It, I, I look at that. As, it seems like a forever ago to have to yeah. It's, I mean, the lengths that you obviously went to, to manage potential anxiety triggers, right? It's right. like, I mean, guys, she put a toilet in her car. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, it's yeah. I mean, well, anxiety, but as well as like not shitting your pants in the car is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, as I say, I, I <laughs> probably fit my car as much as Danielle did. I just didn't have a toilet. <laughs> I just had a, and that's where you went wrong, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I had a towel and Scotch guard seats. <laughs> like we're laughing now, but it's like, clearly that is actually what you had. But so it's really, so for people who are listening an ostomy bag, Barbie butts, all the stuff we're talking about, can you just tell people what this means for your day to day and, and what your day to day looks like now? Yeah. I mean, for me, day to day, it's just a dream now. I, I, before my, my disease was worse in the morning and I'm not really a morning person to begin with. Like if you let me sleep till noon, I'm going to do it. But, I knew we were destined to be yeah, friends. I, I <laughs> do not function before 10 a.m. Yeah. Really before noon, but 10 a.m. is the cutoff. But it was really hard. So, like, having a full time job to being in an office and having to rush hour traffic, having to get like my kid ready for daycare at the time. Um, it was difficult because I would be brushing my teeth, sitting on the toilet and then getting up and then washing my face. And I had to run to the toilet with water still on my face. I mean, it was definitely, um, an extremely time consuming and painful disease to have. So now that I don't have that, I mean, I just roll out of bed. I can drink coffee and not worry about having to poop a hundred times. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. It's, it's, I feel so like you, you've had your colons fully removed. Yes. Right. And then the Barbie butt thing is that they sew up your butthole. Right. Yeah. Right? The, defin- yeah. the definition of Barbie butt. Yes. Yeah. 
in the ostomy community. Right. Go ahead. Yeah, you 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 remove the butthole, sew it up, and then a Barbie butt is defined as two, two cheeks, cheeks, no hole. hole. It's all, all for, for show. show. And if you guys could see it, we'd be flinging ourselves around. <laughs> yeah. Doing our butts like Dana White. Not our real butts, just the, our <laughs> butts with pants on them. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, they just take the end of the small intestine, which is our case. For a colostomy, they would take an end of a part of your colon. For a urostomy, they would actually make a conduit from the bladder outside. Um, but it, it, an ostomy, a stoma is technically just that area pulled through the abdominal wall, kind of cuffed over, and then you wear a pouch over it or a bag. Um, Joe and yeah. I would bag some people say pouch a pouch appliance yeah there's yeah. many ways to say it but mm. same thing applies we're either shitting or pissing in a bag mm. and it's the greatest thing in the world <laughs> um, yeah, it's just it allows me to have the life that I had when I was 16 or before and you know I didn't have to worry about going to a restaurant and scouting out you know the quantity and quality of bathrooms I didn't have to think about um, and this was all of my illness was before, you know, smartphones and whatnot. So I had to like map quest the hell out of everything to make sure I had different um, escape routes from the highway if I needed to find a bathroom. Like I still to this day know how many miles are in between each exit, on, you know, and going to certain cities. And, you know, which I would look at a map like when is this rest area going to be closed? When is it going to be open for me? You know, stuff like that. It's amazing what you have to think of. So yeah. an ostomy, ostomy life is just easy and beautiful. Yeah, well, absolutely. I agree with that. And ostomy itself is different for each ostomate as well. Mm-hmm. Danielle and I, with our experiences with ostomy and our day-to-day life, just care and maintenance and all of that, it differs It differs for us based on our not just our disease but our anatomy because I've lost so much of my intestines in addition to my colon. Mm-hmm. I have short bowel, so I only have five feet of my small intestines left. And that that means I have higher output. I put out more into my ostomy bag a day uh, from a hydration standpoint. A normal, quote unquote, normal, healthy person in a bowel movements throughout the day, they will lose, you know, 700 milliliters of fluid there. Um, with my output, my ostomy output a day, my average is about three liters. Of wow. So you're changing your ostomy bag quite often. Well, emptying it, and that's also like the difference. Emptying it, you you empty the pouch, the bag throughout the day, and then you change actually physically change the bag, take it off, take off the adhesive, clean around it, put a brand new one on. It varies, but it's usually every two to five days per, depending on the ostomy. So there are going to be people who are listening who are probably jumping to the the conclusion that a lot of people who attach stigmas to illnesses like these are jumping to, right? Who are going, you shit out of your stomach? Like, how does that work? How is that clean? Can you talk to us a little bit about how accessible management of, of these diseases is in the sense that you have access to colostomy products and the adhesives and you know, whether those are secure and things like that. Like, do people worry about hanging out with you and that you're going to like smell like poop? Like, is it, you know? Uh, yeah, it's funny. I, I Crazy also, question. I know. but <laughs> It's great. But I, I will say uh, pooping out of my stomach is a thousand times more clean than pooping out of my butthole. That's so- <laughs> uh, you know, I don't need a bear in the forest to tell me to make sure I get it clean. Like, right. Yep. It's all contained within the bag. It's all yeah. contained within the bag and easily just yeah, that's the, that's a huge myth of um, that they smell and they don't at all. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't even know. Um, they're just the products these days are made so well and mm-hmm. they're completely watertight. I go swimming. I go in the 
to the beach, I go in hot tubs and saunas. And Yeah, and exactly. Some of those, the stigmas and things are holdovers from generations mm-hmm. ago before technology caught up when when you were reusing bags, the bags were made out of rubber. And yeah, had, they look like a hot water bottle. Yeah, and you had to mm-hmm. wash them off, and you were using liquid cement to uh, to adhere them, and just yeah. it's like medieval stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, right now, it, what an Austin couch looks like. So there's one piece and two piece. Joe's wears a two piece. I wear one piece, and basically, there's like a sticker part, a wafer. It's called a flange or a wafer that sticks to your belly. And then just the bag on it and on the bottom of mine is just some Velcro. So it rolls up and it Velcros to itself. It's extremely, I've never had it undo. I've never had a bag fall off. I've. And they're also discreet. It's like walking around. No one would ever know that you guys have these pouches in the front of your bodies at all. Except we love to tell them. Well, except for that. (laughs) Except that you also love to stick ostomy bags everywhere you go. That's yeah. correct. And anybody listening to us right now can go to any of our social media pages and look at what we call ostomy bombing. And that's what we do. We take our bag. We have a one or two that we carry with us. And um, sometimes they have sayings on them and sometimes they don't. And we just like put the ostomy, we stick it on a statue or on a poster or wherever. Just And we take a picture of it and take the bag off and go our way. But that's our way of spreading awareness. I think it's really awesome because part of it is about bringing, I mean, and this is the whole point of this show, right? Bringing visibility um, to to the fact that these diseases exist and that they're serious and require very serious surgeries to treat in many cases like yours, but also that, you know, you are walking around managing things in a different way and that you're still perfectly able-bodied. It hasn't changed the way that you're able to live your lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just to touch on like the the care and maintenance and yes, things are so much with, with ostomy technology today, things are so much easier to deal with and manage and such. And, you know, an ostomy bag leaking or failing or whatever, it, that can happen. It certainly can Mm -hmm. happen, but it's, it, it can be a hard thing to, to accept when you, as an ostomate, when you, when you become an ostomate, you're very self-conscious at first because it's a huge body image lifestyle change. Ostomate. So, that's a new phrase. I really like that, that term. Ostomate, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. But once you, like, once you accept it and once you get to the point, especially a point where Danielle and I are, which we know is not the mainstream and norm for all ostomates, everybody, it's a personal thing. And, but once you accept it, it's like, hey, if my bag leaks, my bag leaks. If I, if, if I, uh, if I poop my shirt, I poop my shirt, you know, it's, yeah, and, uh, we're and, all adults. It doesn't, it's yeah. just, pain, yeah. You know? And it's, and, and anybody who's listening who might be thinking about getting one, it's just, there's a little bit of a learning curve when you first have your surgery and figuring out which pouching system is going to work for you, like a flat wafer or convex wafer. But once you figure that out, you really don't have leaks and you know, you'll know how many days you can go in between changing it. I mean, Honestly, and, you know, and sometimes it takes some people a little bit longer depending on like their body shape or their, yeah. their health journey, you know, the, where they're at with that. But it's not really something once you kind of understand and feel it out, it doesn't really happen. Once in a while it happens, but you just learn to carry your stuff yeah. with you. I mean, I've had my ostomy for 13 years and I think I've had maybe five leaks. That's amazing. And they're usually the kind where I can feel it before it even goes to like the outside of the wafer. Yeah. So it's not to be, you know, terrified of by any means. It's, Mm. it's, I seriously would take that possibility, the smallest possibility of a leak over shitting my pants at the grocery store because that's happened. Yeah. I could write an entire book about where I've shit my pants. Yeah. (laughs) 
Hey, listen, I don't even have IBD, but I did once have a, a little accident in the car once. So we've all been there. <laughs> yeah, it happens. If you have yeah. a bubble, it's happened. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. But it's important <laughs> that we like make it okay to talk about this shit, literally, you know? It's like that scene in, uh, um, I forget which one is it? Is it Billy Madison? Yeah, it's Billy Madison, the Adam Sandler movie. Pee in your pants. Is yeah. The <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, the little kid sees his pants. I and know what you're talking so if we're about. so if we're hanging out together, if she has a bag leak, I'm gonna have a bag leak. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. cool to have. It's a bag. cool. Yes, that's right. That's right. Well, it's so great because you guys. So you guys connected. You've had your surgeries. You're living your lives, and it's only like a few years ago that you guys connected through a networking group. No. Yeah, yeah. So it was about five. Is it five years now? Five, five years. years. Yeah. So, um, so I used to live in Cleveland, and we moved to Columbus, and before. My family and I moved. I reached out on some of my favorite online support groups on Facebook and and whatnot. And I just kind of put it out there like, hey, I'm moving to Columbus. Is there anybody here from Columbus? You know, and I was trying to kind of refine my tribe. So I was, I all of my surgery was done in Cleveland. All of my people I knew with either Crohn's and colitis or ostomies were all up in Cleveland. I was very uh, involved in Crohn's and Colitis Foundation and the United Ostomy Association up there, and I wanted to refine that. So I reached out, won a couple little short sentences, and this amazing human being reached back out and said, Hi, I'm Joe, I'm from Columbus. And then he told me about a support group that we both are actually on the board of now. And we met at one of the support group meetings and started kind of hanging out after the meetings each month and realized like it's so cool to have somebody with like your sense of humor that around the same age, it's so important and amazing. And I always had some friends up North that, but they were not around my same age. They were either way older or way younger, which is cool, but it was so neat to have this connection and just to be able to see eye to eye with someone and have that empathy of a friend. You know, my family's always been overly supportive of me and they've always been with me along the way, but to have somebody who really truly gets it, has been the most uh, amazing. It's been the most amazing part of, of this journey for me was meeting Joe and doing what we do. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and, and at that time, that was in 2014. I had my ostomy surgery at the end of 2012 and through 2013. To reiterate and add to what Danielle is saying about meeting someone your age, similar to your age, and similar disease path, um, it really helped me a lot. Danielle and I experienced with ostomy were at two ends of the spectrum. I really struggled with ostomy. 2013 was a very long, hard year for me coming back physically and mentally, emotionally. Uh, so that connection that I made with Danielle and what we have become and what we're doing with Double Bag and it was a huge, um, a huge boost to me personally. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. It's amazing to have that connection. Yeah. Well, it sounds like obviously you guys are each other's community um, and you have community beyond that. But I wonder also about advocacy. Obviously you guys have become advocates, but did you feel that either of you had advocates along the way to your surgeries, to, you know, learning to live life in a new way after your surgeries, or has that kind of fallen to you individually? Um, you know, as you've walked the walk down this path? I think for me, I mean, my family has been, um, Mm. like my husband, my daughter, even as little as she was at the time, my parents, they've all been advocates for me, but 
I think I'm my biggest advocate, honestly. Um, I just, I think my, my personality, just by nature, I'm an extremely independent human being. And so I've always been like, no, I've got this. Like, I'm glad I have the backup. I'm glad I have people behind me, but I was definitely like the captain of that ship the entire time. Hmm. If I wasn't able to speak for myself, my family definitely knew exactly what I wanted. Um, So I, I think that's kind of been my experience. Yeah. And same for me, you know, I have five older siblings and fortunate my parents are, are still here. Um, they're getting ready to celebrate their 60th wedding anniversary. Wow. Congrats, mom and dad. Um, but so they, I've always had that family there as support and, but it wasn't really from an advocacy standpoint that I could really identify until after my ostomy surgery, because that by far was, was the lowest that I'd been health wise and mm. you know, physical and mental. And that they definitely, as they always had done, wrapped their arms around me and picked me up, but they really didn't just pick me up. They carried me forward and they charged ahead without my, without my siblings seeking out the resources necessary afterwards, they made the connections to, um, uh, to the specialist that I needed after my surgery that we didn't expect. We didn't anticipate that I would need after surgery, Mm. but when, when I realized I had short bowel, they, they reached out and and helped set up doctor's appointments and helped, uh, you know, that in conjunction with all of the day-to-day support and care and, and emotional support that they provided me there. That's, that's the, really the first time in my long journey that I really felt um, that I really had the need for advocacy, someone advocating mm-hmm. for me, but that I really had someone advocating for me. What about, you know, if someone's tuning in and maybe they have an ostomy, maybe they're living with one of these illnesses and they're trying to make a decision, but they don't have that support network that you guys were fortunate to have. Are there organizations, I mean, obviously they should be looking you guys up, but are there other support organizations that you would recommend that they look into for community and advice? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So the two, two big ones, um, specifically if somebody has inflammatory bowel disease is the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Um, and I think that's Crohn's and colitis.org. We'll link it. We'll link it on the web. Thank you. I don't know, but yeah, but the Crohn's and colitis foundation is absolutely incredible. Their, um, their team, their website is incredible. Um, they have, there are local support groups all over the country and there I'm sure is a link in there to be able to tell you where you can go or who you can contact. And that's the same with uh, the United Ostomy Association of America. Their website is fantastic. Their team is fantastic. Um, there are also local support groups all over the place for that. Um, and there's all kinds of other ones too, just online. If you can't yeah. if you a remote place where you can't, or you just physically can't get to one, uh, the online support groups are amazing, whether that be through social media or some other like blog space. Yeah. Facebook, things like that. Absolutely. There's just, well, that's how you guys found each other too. And you can get exactly what you need. And the great thing about, especially the online ones is if you're up at 4am cause you're not feeling well, there's going to be, you know, millions of other people up. Same with you. Maybe they're just up because they're in a different country, but it's really interesting. And especially if you have like a really odd thing that you think is very different, most likely you're going to find somebody who has that exact same thing and it's not so odd. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a, a really important message of acceptance for people who are listening in as well. You know, not just being okay with what you've got going on health-wise, but also the the day-to-day management and like the weird things that come up that you can't anticipate. It's really important. Okay, guys, let's talk life on the road with chronic illness. Marin, a type 1 diabetic, developed my sugar case after being approached about her ugly nylon swag bag. 
If she was going to talk about living with an invisible illness, she figured she'd better make it fashion. Several awards later, My Sugar Case designs and produces diabetes supply bags. But here's the awesome news. They're adjustable and can accommodate a whole lot more than just insulin and glucose monitors. Think all those meds you carry around no matter what you've got going on. A unique and innovative solution that empowers individuals living with chronic conditions to eliminate the uncertainty about storage, public image, and the transport conditions of their medications. My Sugar Case helps patients turn sickness into strength. Use code MSC10MSC for 10% off yours at Amazon.com. So I want to pivot into prejudice and privilege and find out whether you guys have ever been in situations where you've had to justify the fact that you had an invisible illness. Maybe people didn't understand. Maybe you had to like turn it into a teaching moment. Can you think of any instances in your lives where you've had to be like, no, but this is what's going on. Or like, hey, by the way, I've got an ostomy. I mean, we know you guys are, you guys love sticking ostomies everywhere. Um, (laughs) Um, In terms of like in the healthcare world, so Mm. doctor's appointments to hospitals, I've never really had any issues with that. I've never had myself. Um, I'm very fortunate with that. On the outside world, however, um, I definitely have had some incidents and I definitely have a big mouth and I, I know, Joe, it's surprising. <laughs> Joe, just, yeah. Joe, just for, for those who are listening and can't see, Joe just turned around to Danielle like, what, you? <laughs> I am so quiet and, and mild-mannered. I don't yeah, you, you have no personality whatsoever, Danielle. <laughs> and no, just, just in the recent, actually just since the summer, so two things that, are, that come to immediately to mind. Number one, um, I have a lot of, I'm medically complex, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I actually have a handicap placard for my car. And that has been very interesting um, because- Your car, which no longer has a toilet in it. Correct. This is a non-toileted <laughs> car. I never thought <laughs> shits in it. I do shit in it the minute I get in it and the minute I get out of it. All she shits everywhere and anywhere. I do. It's like a, like a Dr. Seuss book about us pooping. Um, but yeah, so that's been an interesting ride. It's, it's not very often, but when it does happen, it's it's horrendous. And for the most part, I just kind of brush it off. But there have and it's people a- coming up to you saying you shouldn't park there because you look Absolutely. like you're able-bodied. Um, one very irate man in a Walmart parking lot, which you never can. Really, I just kind of brushed it off because he was crazy. Mm. Um, like, screaming at me. That was very interesting. That was like right when I first got it. And I was like, Oh my mm. gosh, be rough. And then uh, recently my daughter and I were out and this lady just like, we got out of the car, we parallel parked and got out of the car and started walking. And she started like following us and yelling, like, mm. do you understand what you're doing? And, and I think she just was protecting somebody thinking I didn't see it and parked there, you know, cause I look healthy. I have a mm. young child. Um, I'm young ish. And I was like, no, like, well, you present as able-bodied. That's what it is, right. which is interesting because what they're doing is a form of ableism, um, you know, but very interesting that like they think they're protecting people who are disabled, but. Yeah. And I just said, I was like, you can look right there. That's mine. You know, I feel like I don't need to explain anything to anyone, but and mm. my daughter, that was the first time she'd witnessed it. And she's like, yeah. mom, like she was really pissed. It's really she's shitty. If you will. Time. She's 15. Yeah. She's fiery. And she, you know, she's an advocate. She's been advocating for me her whole life. And she, because of me, she advocates for others on so many other, you know, in other ways. And I think it's great. But that was very interesting. Um, And I have had a number of people like with handicapped stalls 
That's an issue. You know, usually somebody might just give you a look, like really. But I actually, we Joe and I were at a concert over the summer, and I was waiting in line. I had like a little itch going on, and an itch can be a bad thing if you have an ostomy, and you might need to change that in that that stall. And that's the only place you're going to have room to do what you need to do. So I waited in line for that particular stall, and this very interesting human being um, challenged me on that. And she's like, "Where's your wheelchair?" And I was like, <laughs> like literally asked me, where's your wheelchair? That is so rude and, and so none of your business. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, I have an invisible illness. And she's like, really? And I, and she kept pressing. And finally I whipped my bag out and I was like, meet Captain Shitbag. I don't even know where the term came from. <laughs> I've never actually said that before. Yes. I'm cheering <laughs> you on from here. I feel like it needed a cape at that moment. Yes, it did. You need to start making capes. It was funny. We have them. Yeah, we do actually. We do have like little superhero capes from, but it was funny because <laughs> actually, so ostomy bags can either come opaque, like with a little, like a tan material over them, or they can be clear where you can see all the poop. Mm. Sadly, I was wearing the opaque one because I oh. really enjoyed like showing, literally showing her my shit. I mean, yeah. I don't know where that came from, but I was just, I was, and it, it was one thing, like maybe you say I have an invisible illness and somebody backs off, but she just kept going. I think like alcohol was a part of it. Um, but still, whether it's no excuse, don't be, don't be a douche, you know? Yeah. So that, those are my two most recent incidents. What about you, Joe? I haven't really, uh, I haven't really had any instance where I felt that, uh, I had to mm. justify or, or fight for where anyone was, was giving me any grief or anything like that. Uh, the only thing that comes to mind when I think about that is it, it wasn't so much, it, it was kind of a weird it was kind of a weird, um, a weird instance where my boss was trying to help. Oh, actually, like it, it, this has been over ten years ago, so my memory is is kind of shot on the exact details of what we were doing. But they were, I was in a meeting with my boss and my boss's boss, who happened to be the president of the company, and they were doing talking about some strategic things and things we were changing, and they were. Uh, they were going to change my job role mm. because, and they, and the way they stated it was because of my health was oh. like because of, you know, cause I had been having hospitalizations and things like that. Everybody at work obviously knew what was going on. I've always, and that's the thing myself since I've been sick, since I was 19, it's always been something that's always been present wherever I've gone. I'm very open about it with employers cause I need to be, cause I need to mm. go mm. to and from the hospital. I need to, so, but anyway, it was just, I remember that being just a very weird and, and being animated in that meeting going like, Hey, I don't, I don't need to change because yeah. of my health. I'm, I can continue doing this uh, this way. I don't have to change. I appreciate yeah. the thought, but you should think about that when I ask for something or need something, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I would have said? Because it, what's that? I would have said, maybe you can get better toilet paper in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Cause it's but, always that but, cheap shit. <laughs> yeah, but it was, but it, it was that kind of it was. I just remember that being probably in a work environment or something like that, being the most uncomfortable about my health. Yeah, well, because it's borderline discrimination. I mean, it is discrimination. But yeah, how do you explain to people who don't see ableism? Yeah, you know, how do you explain to them this is what this looks like, and this is this you're discriminating against me, and I haven't asked for special treatment or anything. You know, it's, it'd be one thing if you say, Hey, Joe, is there anything we can do to help? Yeah, rather which than is just, what more employers should do. Yeah, right. Yeah. Rather than saying, Hey, we're going to do this because you're sick. 
And like around a, in a meeting room with the president of the company, yeah, like yeah. inappropriate. With four, with four other people in there, yeah. Yeah, inappropriate, <laughs> completely inappropriate. So let's talk about your advocacy. The two of you started double bagging it. You speak around the country. Um, you know, tell us about some of the work that you've been doing to raise awareness of uh, irritable bowel disease. Okay. Um, you know, since we started in 2015, uh, 2015 is when we officially started double bagging. It, it was, it was a pipe dream mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. became a real dream and it became reality. Um, we've, we go to conferences, we go to, uh, United Ostomy Association has a, a patient conference every, every other year, a national conference and there are regional conferences and such. So we go to conferences and speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, we go to, uh, any here locally in town, we go to hospital. We go to the hospital and speak to nurses and patients. We go to um, here in Ohio. We have a connection with a college. Danielle has a friend from college who is an occupational therapist, and she's an instructor in a school. Mm. And we go and speak to new occupational therapy students about IBD and about ostomies and such. So it's very, it's varied. Um, it's varied where we go to speak and we, we're always looking for places to go and speak. We're trying to get out there as much as we can in front of both patient and healthcare provider populations. That's really great. Yeah. So you guys are really shouting it from the rooftops. Yes. We, we really are. And, um, you know, we work locally and nationally, both with the uh, United Ostomy Association, as well as the Crimson Colitis Foundation. And that advocacy, which started locally, has grown. And we now go to not only our state house to work on issues that affect us and other people with inflammatory bowel disease. Um, with I, Sorry, I said irritable bowel disease before I mentioned it. Okay. Sorry. It's okay. You got the eye. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> inflammatory, though. It is inflammatory. Um, it's very commonly inter- intertwined there or changed out. Um, so we do get a lot of opportunities and it's, it's so important to not only for self advocacy, but to advocate for others because there's so many people, especially with this type of illness that don't talk about it. And it's okay to not talk about it, but we want it since we can, and we want to, we want to use our voices to be able to get up to our legislators, whether that be locally or nationally. So we do that here in Columbus. We um, go to Washington DC at least once a year and advocate and um, usually on behalf of the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. We've also gone on behalf of the DDNC, which is the Digestive Digestive Disease Disease National National Coalition. Coalition. Uh (laughs) Well done. Thank you, Joe. You're welcome. Yeah, we we go and tell our stories to the legislators and um, just there's so many, and it's it's not even just inflammatory bowel disease related. It's usually chronic illness in general. Mm. Uh, So we've been working really hard on something called the Safe Step Act. Um, which affects a lot of us with chronic illnesses that you may have heard that as the fail first. Mm -hmm. So what that means, and this happened to me, this is why I actually have an ostomy is my disease progressed so quickly because I had to keep failing on certain drugs before I can get to the next one. Unfortunately, Um, there was also some issues with when my husband would change a job, we'd go back to square one and these new insurance companies would make me start at a place where I knew either the drug didn't work or the drug was detrimental. Mm. So we're fighting to just get some, some reform in there to help things be sped along. So other people don't have to go through that. Is that part of what inspired you guys to start speaking, you know, the idea of changing legislation and helping protect other people who live with IBD or was it 
you know, what was the thing that made you go, well, we've got to start speaking about this and talking about it? Well, I, I think that advocacy and, and advocating on specifically in that vein of, of policy change and thing came along a, a little bit later. Mm. Initially, it was simply the fact that we knew how we, we, we had been friends for a while and we knew how we were together and our outlook on life and outlook on living with our diseases and our ostomies. And then we went to our conference that first year in 2015, we saw others there. We were inspired yeah. by other speakers mm-hmm. and advocates that were there and we, it inspired us to sh- want to share our story. It was simply about our, like, how can we get in front of people and how can we share our stories the way these people are sharing their stories? Mm. Because they were impactful for so many people sitting in that room. We wanted to have that same impact. Mm. And that's really the kernel there at the beginning. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah, and it's so amazing that you guys have moved on to you know, this more legislative work because there's so much work still to be done. You know, when we talk about privilege and prejudice earlier, like fail first is one of the the biggest issues, um, not just with your diseases, but with many other groups of diseases. So it's, it's exciting that you guys are really helping move that forward and, and trying to help other people. Like how exciting is that? You got sick and now you're trying to help other people. Yeah, it's a silver lining for sure. Yeah, and we're poised being the age that we are, the length of time that we have with mm-hmm. our diseases and such, and the, and the progress and the outcomes, if you will, of where we stand with our diseases. We're When we go to Washington, D.C., and we're advocating alongside other patients, younger patients, pediatric patients, teenagers and such, we can sit there side by side with them and we can speak to the policymakers and we can show them, look, this is why these policy changes are so important because we can, we, you can see in us what delayed treatment represents. Delayed treatment means more damage to your body, loss of organs, loss of intestines. This is what happens when you delay treatment. Our treatment delayed for various reasons. Danielle was affected by the, the safe step. I personally was just affected by medical technology. Medical technology wasn't what it is today with biologics and such that help slow down the progress of the disease uh, Mm. for a number of people. And, you know, they have medical nutrition that can help pediatric patients so much right now that there's a barrier there that they're they're, they're trying to pass legislation for the Medical Nutrition Equity Act Mm. to have insurance companies pay for a treatment that works 80% of the time with pediatric patients and healing their intestines. Mm. So it, we can sit there. It's, it's very rewarding to sit there and say, Hey, here's our story. This is why you need to do it so that Johnny can have a, a longer amount of healthy life with his full intestine. You know? Yeah. And it doesn't come from a place of bitterness of, over your own experiences no, either. No. Yeah. Which I think is very key, isn't it? You know, cause in the patient community, there's sometimes that borderline, you know, the, the symptom porn, the, the woe is me. And it's so important to find that part of the community that's more positive and about forward movement and growth, isn't it? Right. Yeah. And, and going with that, there's, there's such an acceptance part of that, the five mm-hmm. steps. It's, it's so true when you said that, like, it, it takes some time and you, you grieve your, you know, yeah any chronic illness, I, we, we grieve our lost colons, our, yeah. we grieve our last lost buttholes, you know, but there is something and then you come to that place and then you can take that and do something good with it. Yeah. I never grow my butthole back, but we can, you know, preserve somebody else. She waters it every day, but it doesn't <laughs> seem to <cool>. <laughs> I'm not sure any of those seeds will take. 
I literally <laughs> just envisioned myself in the shower with like an old school like 1950s sprinkling hand. <laughs> I'm picturing like chia seeds, chia seeds, like a chia kind of butthole, like spread. Oh my god! Oh my god! Stop! <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. It's like, you know, Danielle will always get one step in and then Joe just takes it all the way home. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. He's the closer. <laughs> <laughs> he is the closer. So we, we're touching on the health system here and your experiences we've discussed and, um, you know, what you're trying to change. Is there anything else specifically about the health system that you see that has been really working for patients with IBD, you know, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis? And in what ways are you seeing it fall short, you know, other than fail first and, and things like that? Are there specific examples that you can think of as well as, you know, what you've just discussed? Um, the first thing that comes to mind, in addition to what, what you just mentioned, the, which is something that's universal to many of us with chronic illnesses, is barriers, financial barriers in care. Um, the, those, the biologics for to treat IBD are so expensive and mm. all of the pharmaceutical companies for the most part have copay assistance programs and such. And I feel very fortunate. I, I am very fortunate that I have a good job, good insurance, but I, I, I worry and I think about everyone who doesn't have that. And, and as well as I worry about myself one day when I don't have that, if that, mm. if that would happen. Um, so that's, that seems to be the, just the universal problem. Finding a way to reduce cost. Yeah. Yeah. Something just personally, the, it kind of goes along with financial is the business side of healthcare, just trying to stay on top of all of that while you're sick. It is a full-time job. It is so hard. Yeah. Like we have to find a way to make that better and easier to manage to take because the stress that that adds to us is. When you have a disease that's also triggered by stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything to add there, Danielle? Um, I don't know. I think that's kind of my it covers problem. it. Well, yeah. I mean, I just remember being getting sick in college, mm-hmm. you know, and having to um, deal with all these copays. I remember I had to get my own credit card just for copays. I in mean, college my, too. Like my debt into my adult lifetime was all accumulated because of medical debt. Mm. That's just something that's just so unfortunate. Um, yeah. And where I think things are, are looking up, um, in healthcare, it's so many new drugs around the market. I think clinical trials are an amazing thing. I'm just trying to get different options for us because mm. specifically with our illnesses, there's only, I mean, there have been new drugs and new advancements, but a lot of our drugs that we're on are like the biologics people are put on they don't work for everyone. Yeah. Um, well, they didn't work for you. Right. Any yeah. drug, well, I, I didn't even get to that point. I, I pulled the plug before that, but, but you know, there's you some, literally pulled the, I pulled put the plug the, in. Pulled the plug. You pulled the bud hole plug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but but I, I think it's so important for them to continue with these, these trials. And I know a lot of people look down on them, but I think it's such a good thing for, you know, mm. for the yeah. You just have to be discerning with the trials, really, don't you? It's like, but sure. we need more options, man. They're, you know, Joe was on the last or second to last one he can try if this one doesn't work, you know, and you can't go backwards on some, on some of these biologics. You just can't do them again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to touch on, because I mentioned it earlier and I don't want to kind of gloss over, I want to give a little more detail is mm-hmm. 
in the IBD community, specifically right now, this Medical Nutrition Equity Act that we're pushing for is what's happening is insurance companies will not pay for nutritional supplements. Is it like TPN? It's not TPN. TPN. It's like Insure or Boost, those kind of things. But it's medically prescribed from the doctor Mm. and they won't pay for it unless you have an NG tube in your nose and you're given it, you're, you're administered through an NG tube. Oh, wow. Not all patients require an NG tube. So there are cases where children are getting prescribed this and, but they don't need an NG tube. They could just take it orally, but in order to get the insurance to pay for it, the doctor has to give them an NG tube. They have to go and get an NG tube. Oh, and that's so invasive. I'll, I'll take the NG tube out there self and they go home and then just drink the stuff. Yeah. But if you, if you have to, if you have to buy it yourself, the insurance company won't cover it. You're talking $15 a day, $20 a day for what you have to, because that's all it's varying. Some, some children live on that stuff Others mm. that with some other food, but what do you think that's because of like a misunderstanding of, of what inflammatory bowel diseases can do to the body in terms of an, a, dis- a difficulty absorbing nutrients that like, is it that the medical community isn't effectively communicating with legislators on things like that? Or is it just greed? Uh, it, it could be column A, column B kind mm. of stuff going on there. But I think there's also the perception that if if you can't eat food, if you have to live on supplementation, then you need an NG, you need a feeding tube. You need an yeah. NG. And that's not true. It's not. Mm. And, and the sad part mm. about it is with this treatment, they're seeing 80% effective rate with this treatment of healing pediatric cases of wow. IBD. That is amazing. Healing, yeah. like so that they don't even need to end up taking biologics and exactly. Right. So this exactly. could save the medical system money. Absolutely, right. Right. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's maddening because they'll pay for it if you stick a tube in your nose. Yeah, which is much more acute. Which they have to pay for. Right. Yeah. They have yeah. to pay for. You have to pay for the staff. You have to pay for. Yeah. And it comes with other complications that can occur. Having sure. your Plus, that hurts like hell. Yeah. yeah. Why not just drink the bottle of Boost or Insure or, or Pedialyte or whatever it is so, that they've been prescribed? So mm-hmm. in people, cases in IBD are, it's a small portion of the overall population, but it's the fastest growing portion of the population. Sure. Percentage-wise. So, uh, and plus it's something like being an, an adult here sitting now looking back, it, it's... We could still have our buttholes. <laughs> well, we... Would we you want them? Um, we <laughs> no, have this debate all the time. <laughs> I absolutely would not. And Joe said yes. I say yes only if it's healthy. I certainly don't want my previous disease state. Right. Back. But if yeah. I had health Butthole. Joe misses pooping. So I'm going to make a chia pet butthole. Yeah. <laughs> I have discussions in public all the time. I don't. I never want to poop again out of my butt. Here's why I miss, here's why I miss my butthole. <laughs> Can I quote you on that? Yes. <laughs> I, I don't read as much anymore. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. I, I did all of my studying in college on the toilet. The drawer in my bathroom, I have two drawers, I have two drawers in my van in my bathroom. One drawer has toilet paper, one drawer had books. That's it. Yeah. That was my life. I did not know that. I huh? feel like I learned something new yeah. about him just now. <laughs> You're <laughs> welcome. I feel like, you know, everybody who's being diagnosed now, I always tell them jokingly, like, listen, at least you're here during the time of the tablet and the smartphone. Do you know what I had for entertainment? College books, and I read the back of my shampoo bottle, and I now could do like a spelling bee with horrific chemicals that are in my, yeah. I, I know how to spell them all. You know how to spell phthalates. Exactly. I don't yeah. know, I know how to pronounce everything, but I damn well do know how to spell the shit out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. 
Yeah. I mean, that's true. Cause like when you think about it for people who don't have IBD, you know, think about those times when like you've had food poisoning or like you've been hung over or whatever, and you're just stuck on the toilet or, you know, had a 24 hour bug and you end up not bringing reading material. And yeah, you end up just like staring at the ground. Yeah. You're counting the tiles in your floor. Yeah. I've counted so many tiles in like floor ceilings. Yeah. I've learned a lot of, I've honed a lot of skills. Hmm. Spending so much time on the toilet. <laughs> it, it definitely breeds patience, I'm sure. So we're coming to the end of the interview here, and I like to wrap up the show with a couple of top three lists, which I feel like you guys are going to knock out of the park. So the first one is, I'm wondering, and you guys can answer these together individually, so you can give me three, six, really however many you like, but top tips for someone who maybe suspects they're heading into IBD territory or maybe they already are living that life. Um, what are your top three tips for people living like you? So I think first of all, go get checked out. And if you need a second opinion, get it. Yeah. You know, yeah. you don't want to wait six years and have yeah. things get worse. I mean, so even though it's scary and it may be one of 10 things you need to find out so that you can have a treatment plan. Yeah. And, and keep, keep speaking up keep speaking up for yourself. If you don't feel right, don't just accept. Obviously we have to listen to our doctors and we have to follow plans that are established. But if you, if it's not working for you, don't be afraid to say, Hey, this isn't working. What's next? And keep working until you find yeah, it. Self-advocacy is key. Yeah. yeah. And I, the other one too, for people who have already been diagnosed or you know, people who might get asked me, sir, do you're looking into it or have it? I, I think it's so important and I can't stress this enough. Do not compare yourself, your journey, your body, your surgery, whatever to other people on the internet. It's so important that every, every patient is different. Every situation is different and mm-hmm. just going to drive yourself crazy worrying about things that may never have to be worried about. Just, you know, do you do you. Right? Yeah. 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 Okay. So that's two. What's number three? Number three, number three, um, find, find the thing that you love to do most Mm. and, um, embrace, embrace that when you can let that be your anchor for when you're feeling well, Mm. like let that be, um, cause like for me specifically up to the ostomy point, that was, it's the most identifiable point point is the only thing I could do while I was recovering was go to the movies. That was the only thing activity outside of my house that I could do. And I love going to the movies and I love movies in general. So movies became my, uh, my oasis watching mm. movies, watching the home on TV, going out to the movies, watching movies, find that activity that you love to do. And whether you can do it when you're feeling well, find a way to, to do that in the moments when you're not feeling well. Mm. That's a good have one, something yeah. have something to to keep leaning on to keep the brain yeah it's it's about sort of like not necessarily setting the bar high but just setting yourself up for things that give you joy it sounds like yeah and enjoy it enjoy it when you can right like yeah uh, maximize the joy yeah potential yeah feel when you feel bad you feel bad but when you feel good really embrace that feeling good and that joy for the moment yeah because i guess it you know, the idea there being that it'll help you chase the joy even more. Right. Yeah. I love that. All right. One more top three list. Top three things that give you unbridled joy that you're completely unwilling to compromise 
in your life. And this could be things that whether it's like cheats or secret indulgences, comfort activities, um, even guilty pleasures, like three things that maybe you shouldn't do, but you're going to do anyway because they make you feel great. But they could be things that you, it's fine to do, but just three things that you really love that that give you joy. I know for Joe, that's probably improv. (laughs) Um, That's probably in there, but yeah, some three things that just make you really, really happy that, that set you guys alight. Three things that make me happy. Number one, first and foremost is travel. Mm. Whether that be for work or for pleasure, if I get to see somewhere new, I am going to do it because when I was ill, I could not do that. Of course, I took my poop mobile. Um, (laughs) Isn't I just, it's my most joyous thing. My Mm -hmm. daughter and I are going on our little mother daughter trip at the end of February and I couldn't, couldn't be more excited. That's awesome. um, And then I'm a big fan of, of three other things. And I know you only asked for, it's all right. Hit us with four in total. All go together. Hiking, music, and cheese. So I can hike, I can listen to music, and I can have a bag of cheese in my pocket, and it does happen. <laughs> my guilty pleasure, which Joe, Joe just thinks every time I mention it to him, he just like rolls his eyes. Well, I'm a little concerned about the cheese in your pocket. Like, how long is it in your pocket? No, because I just consume so much of it, it does not last long. So there's no health risks. Well, it wasn't involved cheese here. when she put it in there. Uh, no, I love uh... <laughs> There's a store on the way from Columbus to Cleveland called Grandpa's Cheese Barn. I have been known to spend around $100 every time I go. That is how much I love cheese. So yeah, big thing. It sounds and like that, that could also not be that much cheese for $100. Also, and I have an ostomy, so like everyone's like, you're going to get constipated. No, I'm not. I'm going to shit that cheese out like a champion. <laughs> I really That's am. I've never said that phrase before, but I feel like I need a t-shirt that says that. And yeah. then my, my guilty pleasure is... Um, Whenever I feel sad or even when I feel happy or just when I have a moment to myself, I watch the keeping up with the Kardashians. I can't stop. They're like my second family. Joe's making a face like, oh God, why? <laughs> started off as like a joke with my daughter and I, and now I'm in like season 12 and I can't stop. Oh my God. I'm glad I haven't started because I feel like I would get addicted too. Because you need to know. It's so good. I love them. Okay. I'm excited about Kim K's new documentary on the prison system. I'm intrigued. I've only heard bits and pieces. I've seen some activity on TV. Look, I'm yeah. just hoping it'll popularize the discussion. Yeah. And I think all it does, I'm okay with it. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Go Kim. Go Kim, go. Go Kim. Yeah. All right, Joe, hit us with your top three. Top three. Um, uh, family, friends. Mm. Uh, being with family and friends. Um, number two, improv. Yep. Uh, Had to be in there. Yeah, improvisation. Uh, three, double bagging it. Yeah. Dad, he's like, my friends and family, and I'm like, cheese. <laughs> <laughs> See, here's the thing. I don't make you look bad because we're a team. Your list is my list. Oh, and they so we can watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians together? And uh, eat cheese. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Joe, you know what you didn't mention that is one of my favorite things about you is the baby onesies. Oh, oh yeah. Tell us about your thing, your very specific thing with the baby onesies. Sure. Yeah. My, my ostomy bag is because I have high output. I have a larger bag than norm, than a standard, quote unquote standard bag. You're, you're a big shitter. I am a big shitter. Mm-hmm. I am. He's the top shitter. Here comes the big shitter. No, 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 no. I can't sing the rest of the lyrics, but. 
it gets dirtier from there. We'll put it that oh, way. Well, it's an old song. I don't remember. Oh Here comes the high step. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but no, because because the bag, two things. The bag is bigger than standard. The bag is bigger than standard. And um, it's also, as Daniel was saying, most bags are either opaque or clear. And the high output bags are all clear. They're, they are uh-huh. opaque. So uh, it's ne- it's necessary that I wear a cover over it because I don't want to be out at, at dinner and bend over and show someone my my poop, you know. I, mm. I want to be curious and not show it to people. Um, Do you? Well, the poop. I, I do, <laughs> like I don't mind showing if they're like. But anyway, so I needed to make a cover, and I don't know what it was. I was walking to the store one day when I was I was trying to find a cover, and everybody makes all these cute covers, but they're all standard covers and stuff. And I was walking past the display of. Uh, baby clothing and I saw the newborn baby onesies hanging up there and I was like hey that looks about the same size as my poop bag <laughs> and so I bought I bought a stack of them I took them home and yes sure enough it, my bag fits perfectly right into the onesie what I do is I cut a hole in the back of the onesie right below the neckline about an inch below the neckline I cut a hole big enough to where I can tuck my bag through it um and through it down and then what's really neat nightest about the onesie is the it snaps open at the bottom plus you have yeah. the, you have the leg holes there so it's easy access to poop just like a baby <laughs> right that's and, so great and, and it fits it fits perfect because you know a newborn baby is always pooping i'm always pooping so yeah so I but just, you're also like you're really specific about the brand that you like as well like I, I am. This is uh, this is free advertising for them. Guys, it's not a paid endorsement. If you want to pay us, feel free to pay. Please us. do. To hear this. Um, happy to happy to be a brand ambassador. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Carter brand specifically. Carter brand newborn baby onesies because the material is perfect. It's the it's the right uh, uh, durability and it's soft and it's nice and it, it fits well they're perfect in the summer because they soak up they soak up sweat and they're comfy and oh, that's great plain ones and your best friend can decorate them for you puff paint for the win yeah and, and also if you guys are interested there it's posted it's a video posted in both our facebook but on our instagram tv okay we did so a whole you, tutorial. we have a tutorial because so many people ask so we just did like a one one take tutorial and it came yeah. up. Oh, that's well. awesome. Okay. So we'll definitely link to that on the episode page too. All right. So is there anything else? First of all, tell everyone where they can find you guys. <clears throat> Go ahead. Uh, you can find us on also, well, also find us on the old people, social media of Facebook, <laughs> Instagram, and Twitter. That's not old people's social media. That's just the main ones. Yeah. No, you get the Facebook, grief about TikTok. Yeah. And- yeah. Just cause we're not into TikTok yet. Whatever. <laughs> I'm not yeah. one of the cool kids either. So you can find us at Double Baggin it. Great. And at Double Baggin, no, no G in there. At Double Baggin, B-A-G-G-I-N, it, at uh, yeah. all of those. Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, and uh, we'll be working on the website here shortly. We- website is coming, doublebagginit.com. And you can email us at doublebagginit at gmail.com. That's awesome. So yeah, if you've got questions or, you know, maybe you're in the Columbus area and want to hang out with you guys. They can send you an email. Well, Joe, Danielle, it has been such a pleasure having you on the show. It's great to chat with you guys as always. And I'm really excited for everyone tuning in to hear more about that poop life. That poop life. Hashtag that poop life. Yeah. (laughs) That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. 
We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.